Hello, this is Melissa Hale Spencer, the editor of the Altamont Enterprise, and we are really excited to have with us today two of the Sherman men. We have Dana Sherman, who is kind of a Hilltown icon, and his grandson, Kevin. And they are wearing shirts that you will see in a picture in our newspaper, but I'll tell you, since you can't see on the podcast, it says the Sherman family with crossed axes over a log with a chainsaw in the middle. And the reason is, at the Altamont Fair every year, the Sherman family does an amazing show with woodworking, wood woodsman skills. So welcome, both of you. And I'd like to just start with a question for Dana about how this tradition started. How did you begin with this? Well, uh, this is, uh, we started in the, at the fair in 1978. Uh, this is actually our 40th anniversary at the Altamont Fair. Happy anniversary. Thank you. For, and uh, I mean, before that, I, I learned from my father my father was a, was a millwright that actually went around in the old days and repaired mills. As they, the the term millwright now is somebody that works in GE and puts together um, metal um, objects and machinery like that. But back in the days, they worked with wood, and hence the name millwright. And uh, so that's where that name came from. But yeah, and being being that and being a carpenter and learning the old ways. And uh, um, I was raised on a farm, so we have you know intimate knowledge of the old barns and like that. Yeah, and part of the display every year is you have like hand-hewn beams there as well. Right. So I forget what year we moved into the 1890s building, but uh, that year we started building a barn inside of uh, the 1890s building. Uh, And then every year we we hew more logs and add to that barn and keep on building the barn inside inside of a barn, if, if you will. So, Kevin, when did you, were you, like, how, how old were you when you started getting involved in this family activity? Um, I was little, so I'm, basically I'm going to go with, before I could remember, I guess, the, the, the most straightforward answer. Um, we've got some pictures floating around um, our shop at the fairgrounds uh, of me at three years old starting to throw axes. Um, when I was that little and being part of the show and, and stuff. Oh, wow. Well, there's a look of startlement crossing my face, and I'm for it. There's so much parenting today that wraps kids up in cocoons, but I did, when I heard throwing axes at three, I quickly looked at Dana. Is this true? Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we had, we had, actually, there was a picture in the Alpine Enterprise when he, when he was three years old, when he just started to throw the the idea is to get the revolutions to hit the hit the target head on so once you if you start young and uh, i mean kevin is uh, amazing he's definitely the star of the show when it comes to uh, the, the throwing onto it. So, since you're the star of the show, and I did a quick online search before doing this interview, and I hadn't even known you come out of this long-term woodworking family tradition. But apparently, axe throwing is a really hot thing at urban bars now. Did you know that? Yeah, I've been seeing a couple of things on uh, on so- different social media places. Um, I probably saw the first one. It was some place. Uh, I think it was in the Midwest, maybe like 
probably six, seven months ago, there was, there was one, it was a bar and they had like six or seven, uh, I guess we'll call them ranges, uh, set up where, uh, people could throw. Uh, and I was, I was actually pretty, pretty surprised (laughs) when I first saw it. And then, uh, in the, over the last few months, I've seen a couple of different places scattered around that, uh, have it set up. Um, I found it. It kind of struck me as odd too that that was getting getting set up, particularly in a bar. Well, <laughs> oh, yeah, but, where uh, people are drinking. But it seems yeah. to be like, as they say in the stories I looked at, the new hot kind of entertainment. So tell us what it what you do when you throw an axe. Just kind of walk us through from picking it up to the whole process. Um, well, it's Dana kind of mentioned it's it's pretty straightforward it's just it's basically how many times the uh axe is going to spin through the air so pretty much I'll, i pick the axe up i walk up we have uh there's set distances marked out on the floor um any of these bars that have it set up there's a set distance to throw from uh and basically I go up, I look at the target, you know, I can, I kind of. It's like a target for archery. It's like got like a bullseye and then rings yep, around. Exactly. It. Okay. Yep, same setup. Same looks exactly uh, as if you were looking at a, a classic archery target. Um, I kind of walk up to the line, kind of, I look at the target. I'll look down at my feet real quick and kind of set my feet, uh, look back at the target and then just the ax goes back over my head and back forward and I let go and there it goes. <laughs> and do you often make a bullseye? Yeah. It, yeah? Um, we'll, st- we'll start in be- between my grandfather, myself, my dad, uh, my sister, my cousins. We'll start with a brand new target at the fair and, and probably probably by about the fourth day um, where the bullseye was is a hole that's probably a good three inches deep into oh, the target so you make it the bullseye a lot yep. yeah. um and a couple of things when you said sister because the new attraction to the fair this year is that they have women throwing axes and here it's part of your family already how did your sister begin with that um uh pretty much the same way i did i think she was she started throwing just a little bit later than me um and is she good too? Yep, she's, she's a, good. She's very good. Uh, so there's no gender stereotyping in the Sherman family. No, definitely not. No, you. <laughs> it, the thing about uh, uh, competition is, uh, any place you go in competition, the axe has got to weigh the same. The distance is always twenty feet. The target is always five feet in the air. I'm not talking. I'm not sure what the bar room. Uh, sta- uh, but these rules are, are yeah. I looked up. There's actually a league that sets the rules. Yeah, the National yeah. Axe Federation. Yeah. And but we go we go by the rules from the New York State Lumberjacks Association. I see. Uh, they probably are about the same because these these were the original rules. It's the same rules you'll see for in any international competition. You know, uh, whether it's New York State and Boonville or what have you. Well, in but, the last few years, it seems like it's just skyrocketed in popularity. This uh, yeah, website yeah. for the National Federation said there were uh, 19.3 million acts thrown worldwide <laughs> yeah. last year. What do you attribute this soaring popularity to? You guys have been doing it for decades. We just you know? well, it's axe throwing started back in the days. Uh, you're, you were sitting around the logging camp, or you were sitting around the woods, and 
you know, boredom, and somebody says, well, can you hit that, that log over there, you know, and then, so, yeah, was, well, I can hit it better than you can. And that's how it, I mean, it, it got its birth back in the, the, the early uh, 1800s, you know. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And so it's been around. I mean, the the, the tool itself, the actual axe we, we throw now is considerably different than what I started with. I started with a, an old double-bitted axe, which is really quite heavy. Just explain to our listeners what that is. A double-bitted axe is, yeah. uh, would be like, to, uh, look like... Uh, so, it's sharp on both sides. It's got a real long blade on each side onto it. And, yeah, basically, instead of having your, your standard axe with the, the flat spot on the back of the head, um, you're taking it's got two two blades on it. One, oh, on, I see. one on each one side, side. Okay. Opposite, opposite each other. You know, it's a the double bladed axe. Um, they usually have uh, quite a bit of weight to them. You know, they're, they're for chopping them and whatnot. Um, Versus what Dana started to say about the the competition axes, they're they're a lot lighter um, than your your standard normal double bit axe, an old one or a modern one. Um, the throwing axes are they're two and a half pounds, um, and that's the regulation weight on them. Uh, versus a, a double bit axe that you would actually be chopping wood with, um, it, the weight kind of varies with the person and what they like. Um, I know personally, like I'll use, I use one that's a little bit lighter. Mine's probably, but that I use is probably for competition or for chopping wood. Just for chopping wood. Oh, so you so, do a lot of your own wood chopping just for the, not for competition, just because you're chopping wood, like you. Heat yeah, wood? doing that. Yeah, hewing it out and like doing the shows or or mm-hmm. um, you know even like splitting firewood at home or or whatever. Um, the uh, double bitted axe, like what Dana started throwing originally, depending on who it was and who actually you know who owned the axe um like i I tend to favor axes that are a little bit lighter um i i'll usually use an axe that's somewhere between like three and four pounds whereas uh some other guys i know my like my father my uncle um they tend to favor axes that are more in like the six to seven pound range um and it's just a personal personal preference kind of thing versus the the competition axes are all a set weight they're all two and a half pounds and that's the, the weight of the head of the axe. One of the questions I was going to ask you to is about what you did to train or work out for this. And it sounds like chopping wood might be one of the things. Or Do you do special things to get in well, shape for these competitions or uh, demonstrations? From speaking of myself, Kevin's a, Kevin's a blacksmith, so... I mean, oh, he, he that's just, what you do for a living? Yeah, for a living, I'm a, a blacksmith. Specifically, I'm a farrier. I, I specialize in working on horses. horses. Oh, that's uh, kind of a lost art. Yep, there's uh, there's not too many guys around here. There's there's not a lot of us, but there's more than you would think, I guess is, is the best way to put it. Yeah, I just would like to hear a little more about that. Where, where are the horses? Because it's... It used to be an essential function. Every village would have one back when horses were the tractors and horses yep. were the transportation. But now it's really, I would think, kind of rare. Where are you set up? Where do you... Um... So, well, uh, I'm just up out. Of, I live at Knox. Uh, I basically kind of I run like almost like a home business out of my house. And I travel around from farm to farm and work on the horses. Oh my um, gosh! Have Anvil will travel. Yeah, basically, <laughs> yep. yeah. everything everything goes in my truck, and then there I go. You don't think of it. I had a daughter that was at the ag school at Cornell, and they had a, a very well known farrier there, you know, teaching it. And, and mm-hmm. um, 
he taught it like a lost art, but he was commissioned by the government because they were fighting in Afghanistan and were having to use horses in the mountains. And mm-hmm. he uh, did some kind of a horseshoe that really helped with the, I don't know, the mm-hmm. traction on those rocks. And yep. you just, you don't think about that because you think of horses as being... Yeah, these well, these days they tend to be looked more at as, uh, as uh, pets. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I mean, it depends a little bit, you know, what part of the country you're in. But if you um, get, a, I'm sorry, but if you get yeah. a little further away from the capital district, uh, you'll see there's a rebirth in um, actually using draft horses. For in the, um, we just went up and judged a show up in uh, by Plattsburgh, and uh, where they actually did farm implements. They had to back the horses in. They had to do a. a a parallel park, oh my like gosh. like you would do for you know your like, driving test. Yeah. You had to back it into a certain dock. They have to step over logs. They actually hook a log on behind the horses, and they have to drag it through a series of cones uh-huh. without moving the cones. And it's it's really it's it's sort of coming back, and it's catching on. It it's not caught on here. I mean, you know. But isn't that the, fascinating? Both of these parts of your life are kind of lost arts that you're making a, you're making a living out of that. Yep. One thing too, I can that Dana just kind of mentioned too that I've noticed, especially from doing the the farrier work in the last few years, uh, kind of taking this back towards the woodwork and stuff. There's actually been a big rise in probably the last five years or so, roughly. You know, I'm kind of guesstimating a little bit um, in horses and mules being used for logging particularly when it comes to landowners that are looking to do selective logging, only kind of like thin out the forest a little bit, keep it healthy um, and whatnot. And the horses have a much lower impact than the machinery, like the skitters and whatnot. Uh, So there's actually been a big shift or starting to become a big shift into using horses and mules again for logging. Isn't that interesting? Because it's more environmentally sound for the yeah. yeah. Back in the days when I was, I first learned it. That's what we used. We had a, we had a team of Belgians, and uh, I was uh, I started driving them when I was seven years old, and getting down into the woodlot was um, precarious. It was a road cut into the side of the mountain, and so coming up, I mean, it's not something you'd feel safe coming up in a tractor. But the horses felt good. And, I mean, I was seven years old dragging like two logs at a time up, oh up this gosh. road. And it was just as easy as can be. Because <laughs> the, the horse knew the way and had steady footing as it, opposed to... Yeah. A, a, it, had yeah. ste- it had steady footing until this one thing would come across a... Uh, high rise alongside of us and it was a Canadian lynx looking down onto us then the horses didn't have too steady footing after that but oh what an experience I think I outran the horses <laughs> at seven years old my goodness well, so Kevin how did you become a blacksmith where like how did you learn to do this is it like an apprentice system or so there's a couple different ways to go about learning it um, I would say probably by far, most guys learn it like they're they're. It's a family tradition type deal. Mm-hmm. Um, not for me. I grew up with horses, been around them my whole life, uh, and then probably like eight nine years ago, I decided I wanted to get out of construction work. Uh, 
and had the bright idea i wanted to go work with horses and what can i do and uh whatnot and i started doing some research and you would mention that uh uh was it cornell you said had the had a farrier program i looked around there's actually a, quite a few of them around the country uh and i went to a school down in kentucky uh for about a year learned the trade and then uh because i grew up in the horse world um i just came right back to the area and started my business um and there's times too guys will go through schools and then they'll from the school they'll go to an apprenticeship so either that they set up themselves or the school sets up for them um but i uh, i skipped that part um like i said just because i was i grew up in the horse world so um yeah fascinating i was planning on asking you both about i know a little about dana's other life <laughs> because i met you maybe 30 years ago when you were on the town board in knox right, yeah. and at that time you were working at camp cast yep. with um youth who were troubled and teaching them woodworking skills right, yeah. and i'll never forget i wrote it down it's something you said to me because um, later you were working in a maximum security prison doing the same thing and you said you walked through seven doors where no one has a key. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then you said, I really liked it. Yeah. And when yeah. I asked you why, you said you liked working with these troubled youth and teaching them things that they could do with their hands. And you described what you called a light bulb moment they the would light have. Bulb. They, uh, some yeah, people so just call tell it us the, a little about your work. And, and some, I, people, some people call it the aha moment, or, or, but I prefer the light bulb. It's when they... When they actually perform a task for the very first time, and it fits together, or it it comes out right, yeah, and then all of a sudden, their it's like their face lights up like a light bulb. And in other words, I got it. Yeah, I got it. I really got it. And and the fact that I can do this, you know, and that's something they can take with them. I think it's important to point out that our show. Um, we try to tell people that it's a two-part show. The axe throwing is definitely a spectator type of thing, and people love to see the axe throwing. But the actual hand hewing, that's the educational part of it. I was just going to say, you're still an educator during this show, so tell us what it is you teach people that come. Because people come to the fair not expecting they're going to be learning about woodworking, and I see them stop because they're enthralled with the axe throwing. Yeah. I wonder if they ever get frightened. <laughs> you know? no, no, no. But no. then tell us what it is that you're teaching them. Well, we start We start with a live log. Live meaning it's fairly green. And we start down one side and we square it up. We'll turn it. By, by when he says green, he means fresh. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's fresh cut. Yeah. Um, well, when he I'm says glad green. you interrupted there because... I just was writing about, I don't know if you know, the Crown's House, which our paper has been trying to save. It's this old house by the first doctor in Altamont, built it and practiced there. And it was built in the early 1800s. And this man by the name of um, J. Cougar White Cloud, who, as you might expect, has a Native American heritage, he was telling me it was all green construction then. And he considers that a much more important and much more difficult thing to do than he says the dried lumber you get at Home Depot and he's hoping to do the restoration work there. There's apparently similar to what you were saying with the blacksmithing and the using of mules and horses. Mm -hmm. There's a movement now for carpenters that are considered green carpenters. So 
Thank you for just explaining that. Go ahead. The, the, uh, once it's chewed out on all four sides, then we cut it down to length. We put the, we call it mortise and tenon joint. The tenon fits into the mortise, which is a slot. And then we demonstrate the entire construction, how we go about through and make the different links and actually show people how we make the roof rafters. Uh, Kevin does a demonstration with white cedar where he actually makes hand-split uh, cedar shake shingles. And uh, that's all part of the, sh- the demonstration as opposed to the show. And um, and th- then we we end it with... Uh, I always end the show the, always the same way. Uh, we say that uh, this... This has been passed down through the Sherman family for many, many, many generations. I, I, I would say at least 12 generations. It's come down through, according to the family Bible, and it's be, still being passed down. And we, we encourage the people that whatever they have in their family that has been passed down, and I always use the phrase, even if it's chocolate chip cookies, pass it on down through the line so that part of your family is always going to be alive. There, there's... There's certain parts of our society that can't be put on tape or put on video. It's got to be like a live demonstration, and this is one of those crafts where you know you can't just drag a log into your living room and watch TV and, and uh, hew it out. Probably be some objections there. What profound and really, really important advice! Thank you. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, it's 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 good. Um, it's it's all good. The show, uh, we have people, we have one fellow from up the other side of Middleburg that we see him every year he comes back, and he's interested in it. And we have people stop in and ask, because afterwards we invite people to uh, to come in and talk to us. Or maybe they've seen a tool that we have hundreds of tools hanging on the wall. Uh, my wife will tell you how many tens of thousands of dollars I have invested on the wall. But, uh, I think <laughs> is she supportive of this? She is, yeah, because oh, she actually covers the checks that I write for the tools. Oh, and, gosh. Uh, it, the other thing we try to do during the show is we don't try to hurry this because going back to my educational background, if I use a word in this jargon like mortise and tenon people or the name of a tool like a fro that people don't understand right away just stop this you know stop this and hold your hand up or yell or shout or something and say i I don't understand what you said because it's more important that we don't lose somebody doing this we want to take our time with it what is that tool that you just mentioned the fro fro that's a device that we use to split it looks like a a long kevin you know better so uh, I guess the best way to describe it um, is a very wide chisel. Um, the the blade the blade on it would be best described as a very wide chisel, um, and then at one end of it, uh, the handle comes off straight up at a ninety degree angle. So the when the the handle and the blade form an L shape, um, the blade itself it's probably Dana would say it's probably about a foot and a half long. Yeah, yeah. The the blade's about a foot and a half long, and uh, basically use the same same as you would a chisel. You would set it on the I set on the stock that I'm working on, uh, and just drive it down through the the log and split off a piece. Um, 
basically you could think of it as um I'm splitting out a board. Uh he can split boards up. You're a natural six. teacher. Good description. Yeah. But you you all do this. Your family is a labor of love, right? You're not getting paid by the fair for Oh we get we get a dem- for the demonstration we get paid for. But yeah, I mean it's yeah. a lot more than oh, like, no, we, <laughs> we've been down there a, for what this is we've been three weeks in the process. Yeah. Uh, yeah, setting up, getting everything set up. We started about three weeks ago. Yeah, and that's not counting when we're down there uh, t- ten hours a day. You know, but right, I see. But you. it takes a lot, a lot of pre- it takes an awful lot of prep. You just can't come in and open the back of the pickup truck up and do it. No matter, we do shows all over the country, and it's like, I mean, sometimes you wind up doing. You get paid a spaghetti dinner or something. You know, I've gotten yeah. to that to just to come in and do a talk. So, what could, is it that has motivated you all these years? What is it that I I think personally I guess I gotta say family. Um my my granddaughter's been throwing, she's now um I shouldn't probably tell her age, but she's uh <laughs> thir- twenty five. Uh yeah, that sounds right. Twenty five. <laughs> so she's been throwing for a good uh ten years with us and uh and we have uh, our new granddaughter who just started this it's just be her first year. Uh she started throwing about two days ago and uh And how old is she? Uh Kaylee is seven, just turned 17. Oh, wow. Yeah, so uh, she's hitting the target, and we hope by uh, by the middle of the fair she'll be doing good. And uh, it's good because uh, the ladies in the audience and the young girls in the audience really like to see the girls compete. And, and you mentioned before, Melissa, about the that's not a sexist type of thing. No, it's not. Yeah. When you go to competition, you use the same axe, you use the same saw, um, in, in all competition, it, it doesn't change at all. We, with man, woman, or beast, you know, it's all the same. That's great. And just, too, it seems like your family is very generous, because I know you're both very active in the volunteer fire company, and that, too, as I understand it, is a family tradition. I know I wrote not long ago, when you were honored with an award, you had been in... 50, 50 years, 50, 50 <laughs> and now you're years, the yeah. assistant chief in the Knox yep. I'm department? I'm the assistant chief in Knox. Uh, I want to say, I think this is my third year as the assistant chief, I think. Yeah. So just yeah. tell us what motivates you to do that. I mean, again, that's another labor of love. That's a... Boy, I tell you, you know, it, it, what, is it, what, what makes you a volunteer fireman? Um, you got to be a little crazy, but <laughs> you can't. It does. But I, I guess community, you know. I mean, uh, once once you're uh, once you've done something really good at a at a car accident, motor vehicle accident, or once you've really made a good save on a house, uh, you're pretty well hooked. Uh, it's just a sense of helping other people. Yeah, you, you you've, you've accomplished something. You saved part of their house. You know, because that's you, hours you, and hours and hours of training and. Oh, it's horrible, yeah, it's, Kevin. It's, what is it's a lot? Now, how many hours? Now, I think the initial training. Now, the the firefighter one course. I believe now, it's something like a hundred twenty-seven hours. Yeah, I think is what it is, and yeah. that's just the one initial course the fir- very first one um, well my hat's off if i have one to you <laughs> one of my favorite 
Kurt Vonnegut quotes is about how when someone's house is burning, the most important person in town, if he's on the volunteer fire department, will show up at the house of the poorest person in town. And it's the idea that it's just caring about everybody. It's like yeah. a, a great equalizer. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just a... It's, it's, it's got a social aspect to it, too. I mean, there's a... Town of Knox, there's not a lot to do. You know, <laughs> there's no social clubs up there at all. There, uh, there's a few bars in town, but you know, but we have uh, we have a community room where we enjoy ourselves, and, and uh, but we still have to train. We meet one one day a month. We train two days a month, and we work on trucks. Usually one day. Yeah, and then when we do have a fifth Monday every now and then, we wind up working half of that and then just enjoying ourselves the other half. But glad you get some half day of enjoyment. Yeah, there. it's a there's, there's I don't know. It's, it's like I say, if you ask somebody why they're a volunteer fireman, it's they're going to stutter and stammer, and it's, it's going to well, be I hard. Well, I've taken his modesty. But I thank you. And do you have any closing thoughts? Our time went very fast, and sometimes oh. I miss the most important thing. If you want to let people know, well, I think you know if you if you come to the fair and uh, and just stop and see us and ask us questions and like that. And, uh, and you are right inside the opening door, at least the way I come in, of the Village and Carriage Museum, just right. so people know mm-hmm. where to find you. Right off of Gate Five, we are. If you come in Gate Five, we're take a hard right and we're right there and uh, it's it's uh st- stop and see the entire show and uh, stay afterwards sometimes afterwards we do get the two man cross cuts all out and uh what we like to do is uh, and this is a saw that's like how like eight feet long or something uh, yeah it's about <laughs> six seven feet long depending yeah. which one we get yeah we happen to have two of them and what we do is we have uh we pick two people from the audience and they compete together on one end of a squared up log and the two professionals on the other end so you guys are on the other end and you beat them every time well (laughs) i get to decide when the professionals start oh so you give them a head start i do that by reaching over and grabbing a hold of their saw i sit (laughs) sit in the log and of course the audience is always rooting for the thing and Mm -hmm. uh, you get a father and son a husband and wife sometimes can be hard because you can't push the saw (laughs) (laughs) and sometimes the coordination is different but in truth in truth be known the audience always wins Oh, oh! <laughs> and they get to take home that block of wood. People value that block of wood. We had a young kid come back with a block of wood that he had. They saw it off the year before. He says, "I brought this back. I still got this." You know? <laughs> oh, that's great! Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank both you. Thank you. Thank you.